0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu.
1: Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, NPR White House reporter Aisha Rasko and Washington Post senior tech policy reporter Tony
2: Rom. All right, let's start the show.
3: Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests. They're both in D.C. this week. Aisha Roscoe, White House reporter at NPR, who just ran into studio after a TV hit because I saw you on TV a few minutes ago. And friend of the show, Tony Rahm, tech reporter at the Washington Post, senior tech policy reporter.
1: That's a commentary on my age. (laughs) (laughs) That's
3: So we're joined in studio uh, today by one of my favorite rappers of all time. His name is Jay Z. He's in the news this week. Uh, This song is one of his best Izzo. I agree. Doesn't it take your back?
2: It does. Oh, man. Like, I This it, is like my era. Yeah, it oh, is. Yeah. It's right, right. my era.
3: But anyways, Jay-Z is in the news this week because he announced the strangest of partnerships. Him and his company, Rock Nation, are partnering with the NFL. Right. The league is going to use Jay-Z's company Roc Nation to advise on entertainment, including helping pick acts for the Super Bowl halftime show, and Jay-Z will work on social justice initiatives, quote yeah.
1: unquote. Well, this catch-all off guard. Well, for a lot of reasons, including don't the lyrics of the album that he did with Beyoncé have a line about how he's needed the Super Bowl? Yeah. yeah. So
3: he's talked publicly before about not liking the politics of the NFL right. and refusing to play the halftime show for the Super Bowl. So he has had an an relationship with them for years, especially over uh, the way that they treated players like Colin Kaepernick taking a knee before football games. He was on Kaepernick's side. He's worn Kaepernick jerseys. And so this partnership announced this week made everyone scratch their head because Colin Kaepernick is still not back in the league.
2: Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm always careful about, like, saying celebrities have to get involved in this or speak out on this issue. I feel like, you know, they're celebrities like... Y- that's not necessary. But he inserted himself into this issue. Exactly. And now you're... You
1: you're know, on that side. You're on
2: that side. <laughs> right. so. and, yeah. and,
1: and there was a really interesting, this is more of a speculative story, uh, in NBC. NBC Sports had this thing about how they wondered if this was the precursor for Jay-Z trying to own a team. Oh. What, dude, Which I looked... He, he has enough money, just buy the team. Well, uh, well, apparently, <laughs> he kind of doesn't. Uh, uh, apparently, you need much more than that he actually has. And then there's this added thing about the NFL where you I think you need permission of the owners, and so one you way... Oh. And, yeah, you It is. It is so
3: weird to me. In large part, also, like, <clears throat> the cynical part of me thinks that this gives the NFL cover uh, because they've had an antagonistic relationship with a lot of black celebrities, like Rihanna and Cardi B, who said they would not play the Super Bowl halftime show, but... Uh, Jay-Z, whatever the case, I still like your body of work.
2: Me too. <laughs> it's, uh, I think
3: uh, I've spent a lot of time with every Jay-Z album except for that one he did with Beyonce.
2: Oh, no, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> I like
1: that. I like that album. <laughs> <It is laughs>
0: right. I did. <laughs> so much. The <laughs> the that's the anthem. Get your damn hands up. H to the iso, B to the is
3: Anyway, we have to get to the news news. <laughs> uh. <laughs> We're going to start the show as we do every week, asking my panelists to describe their week of news in only three words. Aisha, you cover the White House, and I want you to talk about your three words, which have to do with the way that the Trump White House is dealing with this crazy, crazy week in the economy.
2: Yes. So my three words, and I went back and forth on this, but I I landed on mind your business. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. That is what they are trying. They're trying to mine. Right now, the uh, Trump administration is trying to mine. The business of this country. Mm. Uh, And they, for a long time, were also kind of saying they were going to deal with the US and everybody Mm -hmm. else could mind their business. But we're going to deal with us. But the issue is America first. America first. But the issue, of course, is. The U.S. is connected to the rest of the world and the you, economy can't, is global. <laughs> you can't just <laughs> deal with the U.S. and uh-huh. not with everybody else. So we've had uh, it's been a rocky week. So you had yeah. some good news. Consumer spending, retail sales are still strong. So that mm-hmm. came out and that was good. But then you have manufacturing output is down. That's an issue. And then you had Germany's economy shrank.
3: Yeah. And negative growth in Germany. Falling growth in China, yeah. Lingering questions over how the trade war is playing out, yeah. and then there was one day this week, Aisha, we saw the Dow lose 800 points yes. in one day.
2: Yes, because of the crazy inverted yield curve.
3: Which you got to yes. just sidebar and have you explain <laughs> to us for a second?
2: Okay, so I, I before my life here at NPR, I did. I was a business journalist at, at Reuters, so I covered I didn't know markets. His business, okay. Usually when you buy bonds or government, basically debt, mm-hmm. um, you're loaning them money. Long term, mm-hmm. you expect to get a higher incentive, a higher yield, because you're locking in your money for a long time. So like 10-year yeah. Treasury notes, you're, you're yeah. locking in your money for a long time. But this week, the yield on the 10-year Treasury notes was less than on the 2-year Treasury notes. So basically... I'll take this from Scott Horsley, our chief economic uh, correspondent. He said that usually it's a smiley face, but then Uh when it's inverted, it's a frowny face, and then everyone's frowny. (laughs) That I
3: get. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So the thing is, though, this frowny face, people say it's a predictor of a coming recession yes and so my question for you Aisha you know we could go deeper into the economics of all of this but I'm really interested and it's for you both um, about how Trump reacts to this news so far we have seen him be a president who loves to do this sometimes antagonistic song and dance back and forth with the markets he'll put a tariff on Mexico put a tariff on China and see how it plays out but like this news was so troubling to some folks this week. I wonder, does his strategy change? Can he keep playing this economic game of chicken?
2: And you saw the U.S. pull back a little bit this week where they said they were going to put all these tariffs on imports from China and they were supposed to start on September 1st. But for some of those, the most important that would affect uh, consumers like laptops and things like that, they put those off until December 15th. So they're already responding a bit. But what President Trump is doing is he's blaming a lot of people. So he's blaming the Fed. He was blaming the media yesterday, basically saying that we're talking up a recession and that we want to crash the economy. Well, we don't we'll have be. that much power.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tony, do you? <laughs> I mean, my Twitter account reaches some people, I guess, but not 62 million. Well, yeah, you know, yeah.
2: It's, So it's like this is what he does is he kind of looks for people to blame, but he's also the other thing that he does is he says everything's going great. I think I think we'll get a great deal or something soon because everything's going great. The talks are going great.
1: Joe Folks aside, I mean, yeah. we've seen inverted yield curves lead to recessions before. That's documented uh, yeah. in lots of economic literature. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen somebody tweet through a recession. <laughs> if the yeah. worst, if the worst does happen, and again, this is so speculative, you do have to wonder what would happen if we tweeted our way through an economic oh crisis, goodness. and what that would mean for the pace of recovery and for the conversations that have to happen around the globe to right the economic ship.
2: And like, and you know, like you said, it's not clear that there's going to be a recession, or
1: when it and, would happen, even. If- And it would
2: happen. But uh, this administration hasn't really shown the ability to really think with one mind and speak with one voice when it comes to anything.
3: You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests this week, Tony Rom, senior tech policy reporter at The Washington Post, and Aisha Roscoe, White House reporter at NPR, who has like 17 jobs, <laughs> jumping on TV, jumping on podcasts, yeah. doing it all. Tony, do you have three words?
1: I have many words, uh, but I'll keep it to three. I'm actually okay. going to cheat a little bit, so don't okay. yell at me. Uh, my three words are IRL minority reports. Well, checking Lindsay is like five.
3: We'll let it go. Well, because <laughs> IRL is like IRL its own word.
1: word. Yes, yeah. IRL
3: Minority Report
1: is that the Steven Spielberg movie? It is the movie, um, yes. and I'm using that as a uh, funny way of referring to the conversations that the White House has been having with tech companies over the issue of gun control. Yeah. So remember, in the movie, what essentially happens is that there are these three brainy people who can kind of predict crimes before they happen, right? And like and so, arrest people before they and arrest crimes. people before that they can commit them. And so no, the White House is not trying to make any people who can predict crimes, but they are asking the question, are there things that we can do to more proactively keep an eye on social media so that we can see shootings or shooters before they occur? Yeah. And so this came in the aftermath of two mass
3: shootings in Dayton and El Paso, and the whole country is saying someone's got to do something.
1: Right. And particularly with El Paso, it was the latest incident in which a shooting uh, had some relationship to online hate speech. Mm -hmm. Uh, In this case, we believe that the shooter, the alleged shooter, had posted this anti-Hispanic manifesto to 8chan, which is an anonymous web forum, Hmm. uh, minutes before the attack took place. Mm -hmm. That set the stage for this White House meeting that happened last Friday, where major representatives from companies like Facebook, Google and Twitter sat down with top White House officials, but not the president to talk about what they could do to create a technological solution to this. So on one hand, I think a lot of folks walked away from that thinking, this is a good conversation that has to happen, given the issues and the pervasive trouble of online hate. On the other hand, people were like, why weren't we talking about guns?
3: Yeah, well, and then also just to take it back to that Tom Cruise movie, part of the whole plot of that film is when this predictive stuff Goes too far. (laughs) Like, right. (laughs) When I saw these headlines, part of me got a little worried about privacy concerns and what is the right stuff to go after? Will they ever get the wrong person? Like, as a citizen, how scared should I feel about (laughs) possibly these? big tech platforms partnering with the federal government to see what I'm writing and posting and predict what I'm going to do.
1: Right. You know, we should caution at the outset here that this is brainstorming right now, right? There's no technology that exists uh, that can do this kind of thing, at least at the scale that the government would want it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the White House was very clear that they didn't think that they should necessarily own some system to do this surveillance, Uh Uh but that Uh a conversation needed to happen. Now, all of that said, uh, the tech companies in attendance raised some of the very points that you did, this mm. concern about, you know, what would happen if they caught an image that, you know, was white supremacy, but actually it was a parody or something. Yeah. Uh, and f- it flagged that person as a potential shooter when in fact they weren't. Uh, mm-hmm. What about the privacy concerns this creates yeah. when yeah. you're keeping an eye on what people are saying and doing, even things that they may have gone to try to post, but ultimately didn't. And yeah. so I think the concern is theoretical, but it's a very important high level one. It's once again, we find ourselves with this debate over privacy versus security.
3: Yeah. Kind of feels like the conversation we had, Aisha, uh, many years ago after the Twin Towers fell yeah. over at the Patriot Act. Yeah. And that was a moment in which we gave up some civil liberties to protect ourselves from international terrorism. Now is the conversation, how much do we give up to fight Domestic terrorism.
2: Yeah, and I think, too, when you look at this is how much of this goes against free speech. Should you be allowed to say these things? I, yeah. I, I do wonder what could the police do? So as long as you're not threatening someone, but you're just saying hateful things on the Internet, can, yeah. Like, can who, they? Yeah. I, I mean, hate speech is not
1: against the law. We would yeah. like to think it is, but hate speech is permitted under the First Amendment. It's yeah. not permitted under the policies that Facebook and Google and Twitter yeah. have in place on their sites. They can take that stuff down, and they do. But there's this concern that the that the web has created this really disgusting conversation and that it's served as a conduit for radicalization. And mm-hmm. so the other thing that I heard in the course of reporting, and this came mostly from Democratic lawmakers on Capitol Hill, it's this feeling that if the White House wants to start to fix the problem, it has to mm-hmm. start with the president and his own speech here. The Criticisms were that the things that he says about immigrants and other minorities and just the generally the language that he uses and the tone of the things that he's saying. And the picking the fights all pick, the time. Picking the fights creates this incivility online that creates the space for people mm. to say and do the things that could lead to violence and other kinds of troubles. Now, yeah. we can debate whether that's actually the case. But Democratic lawmakers said that's why they were most perturbed that Trump wasn't there at this meeting. Yeah. What right now are tech
3: companies doing in terms of monitoring some of this intense hate speech and what would change if they began to implement some of this minority report? Pre-talk stuff.
1: Right. right. I mean, right now, all of these companies have policies in place that outlaw things like white supremacy. They have thousands of people on staff who review the content as it's posted, uh, and they have powerful artificial intelligence tools that's supposed to stop that stuff in real time. Hmm. But there's this concern that that's simply not enough. Regulators around the world still see these sites as major conduits for things like white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And they point to uh, sites like YouTube, for example, where you're just queued up with videos that look similar to the things that you've you've already watched. Mm -hmm. And so if you've already watched something that has a conspiracy theory or a hoax in it, you're likely to see more of that stuff. So there's this concern that there are these biases, there are these troubles built into the platforms themselves.
3: You know, going back to this idea of a similar conversation happening around the Patriot Act and how much liberty we wanted to give up for that protection... Is there like a big
1: lesson that you can see out of that that might affect how this plays out? Right. Well, we need to have smart conversations about how the technology works. And Mm -hmm. just I guess lastly here, like this isn't just theoretical. There are literal contracts out there on federal government contracting websites because law enforcement agencies are looking to do this work in Mm. real time. They They want to do it to have these capabilities. And perhaps it's the case that they should be able to do this sort of thing but we have to have a conversation about whether those trade-offs privacy versus security are worth it you're listening to it's been a minute from npr
3: coming up we're gonna talk about whether or not the internet has changed the way you talk or the way you write the linguist gretchen mcculloch says yes it has for all of us even the grammar purist that's after the break i'm sam sanders
0: we'll be right back Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. When you can't be there in person, Zoom. Zoom is used by millions to connect face-to-face, across town, or around the world. Share files, video, anything, and connect through any device. Desktop, laptop, tablet, smartphone, or conference room system. Zoom video conferencing, Zoom rooms, Zoom video webinars, and Zoom phone lets you do business at the speed of Zoom visit zoom online to set up your free account today meet happy with zoom Support also comes from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more.
2: The U.S. has the highest incarceration rate in the world,
3: with 2.3 million people behind bars. This week on Throughline, how we got here. The history of mass incarceration in American culture. Throughline from NPR, the podcast where we go back in time to understand the present. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders with two guests, Tony Rom, senior tech policy reporter at The Washington Post, and Ayesha Roscoe, White House reporter at NPR and star of the NPR Politics Podcast. <laughs> not,
2: not one of many stars. What one of many stars. Many stars. I can I just scared. say, what I love
3: about it, y'all will run these promos and other podcasts. It's, it's you and Scott talking yeah, about Scott, yeah. all the interviews. And, and at the end, you say,
1: Subscribe.
2: Subscribe. I love it so much.
3: I love it so much. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so glad you both are here. I have a question for you both. Tony, Uh Aisha, do you use periods in your text messages?
2: I do.
1: Only when I'm pissed at somebody. No, I do. See? Right thing. (laughs)
2: I don't. I do. I use, like, punctuation and stuff. I don't use
1: punctuation. I I use use line
3: breaks. Because for whatever reason, I'm not sure how it happened. I think that when I'm sending a text message, if I send a period, it means that I'm angry.
2: Right. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. Right. See,
3: This is a thing that the youths have gotten into these days, (laughs) the the fear of punctuation.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why they would always be able to tell that I'm not a youth.
3: (laughs) So, (laughs) anyways— (laughs) This shift in the use or non-use of the period, it's been well documented, uh, and people not using periods on our smartphones, uh, an author named Gretchen McCulloch argues that that is just one of the ways that the internet and smartphones themselves are, are totally changing language and the way that we use language. She has a whole new book out just about this. It is called because internet understanding the new rules of language and so she argues in the book basically that the era of internet has given us this abundance of normal people using language very informally all over the place and Gretchen says that's a Big thing because it moves us away from the way that we usually learn language, which is a really formalized system, you know, through school, in textbooks, etc. Uh, She says that we have moved away from that formality that we've usually had around language in the past.
4: What I think is really interesting about internet language is that. You do have historical precedents for informal writing before the internet. You have things like diaries and postcards, but they're really limited and you don't have distribution for them. So the fact that our informal writing can influence each other and can go back and forth. And we don't always think about it, but in speech, we have formal and informal varieties as well. You know, you're a Mm -hmm. radio host, but presumably you don't go home and talk to your dog like this. I
3: don't. I sing (laughs) to her. (laughs) (laughs)
4: You know, like this isn't how you talk to your friends in the pub. So the idea that writing should only be formal is actually this kind of anomaly when you look at this broader picture of what speech can be.
3: In all of your research on the Internet and language for this book, what was the one new, I don't know, linguistic development or word or phrase or whatever that you found that was a new thing caused by Internet that like you loved the most?
4: I really love how the internet has given us ways to express irony in writing. Mm. And there's a whole bunch of them. You know, there's the the tilde at the beginning of a word. Like, that's so such a good idea. And you could put the, the tilde at the beginning there. Mm-hmm. There's asking a question without a question mark to indicate that it's a rhetorical question or that it's kind mm-hmm. of ironic or deadpan.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: there's putting sparkles around stuff, which could <laughs> indicate enthusiasm. <laughs> but if it's in a context where you really can't be enthusiastic, it's got to indicate something else. And maybe that's irony. And... What's interesting is that there is literally, like, 500 years of philosophical proposals being like, yeah, guys, it'd be really nice if we had a way of indicating sarcasm in writing. It'd huh. be nice if we had an irony punctuation. You know, Rousseau had a proposal. Really? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jean-Jacques Rousseau is like, we need a point d'ironie. <laughs> there were people proposing backwards question marks, upside down exclamation marks, all sorts of stuff. And there's literally like at least one a century and sometimes more. And all the philosophers are in agreement. This would be a really good idea. And none of them get off the ground.
3: And the internet did it.
4: And the internet did it. Like, what a success story. Rousseau Thank you, not
3: <laughs> The internet did.
4: Rousseau couldn't that. make it happen, but the internet did.
3: If there were a person who was cryogenically frozen before the internet and the smartphone came into existence and then you brought them back right now today, yeah, what would be the biggest part of our language that they would notice had shifted because of those two things?
4: I mean, I think some of the the obvious things that they would notice had shifted would be the addition of things like emoji and emoticons and GIFs and like, adding in the visual ornamentation side or the body back into language. Mm -hmm. Because we have a body when we communicate face to face. We use our hands, we use our gestures, we use our facial expressions,
1: Mm -hmm. uh, we
4: modulate our tone of voice. We haven't traditionally done that so much in writing because formal writing, just like formal speaking, is very disembodied. Maybe you have a graph. (laughs) That's all the illustration you get. So this really obvious thing. But I think if they dug a little bit deeper and looked at the text messages themselves, they might be reminded of kind of early modernist poets like E.E. Cummings and people who are trying to represent a stream of consciousness of how people Uh, are actually thinking, but uh, in terms of writing. There are literary precursors to this.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the critiques that you'll hear from grammar purists, from language purists, that I hear as someone who talks on the radio, is how that informal writing, that stream of consciousness writing and that style has shifted and moved into spaces that should be classically more formal. Um, I remember one time on this show, probably a year ago, I was laughing about a joke one of my panelists made. And before I knew it, instead of laughing, I literally said out loud, LOL, 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 LOL. <laughs> And I was like, I didn't even know I was going to do it, and it just happened. But I was like, oh, maybe there is some credence to this claim that the informality of Internet speak is actually becoming pervasive everywhere, and maybe that's a bad thing? Have you found that the informality of the Internet and how we speak there has invaded more formal spaces in a bad way?
4: I mean, language changes. Like, life yeah. changes. It wouldn't yeah. Life wouldn't be alive if it wasn't changing. When something stops changing, it's dead. So yeah. – <laughs> You know, congratulations, English is still alive because English is still pissing some people off. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, if you if you want to kill English and embalm it like a dinosaur, like you can do that and stop it changing, but as long as it's in the minds of living people, it's mm. going to keep changing because living people don't just stay static when you stop paying attention to them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. An idea that's been present in not just this book, but in some other writing of yours, is that the people who change language the most, who move language forward the most, are usually young women, like teenage girls. Um, And you say that this has been a thing for a while. It goes all the way back to like the age of Shakespeare. (laughs) Unpack that and why them?
4: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, sociolinguists have this acronym, which is if you want to study the most conservative uh, users of a particular language, you want to study what are called norms, which is hmm. non-mobile, older, mm-hmm. rural males, because they're hmm. going to provide your oldest snapshot. Really? Yeah. Because okay. so, if you're mobile, you're exposed to a lot of people, you're more likely to change your language quickly because you're exposed to more. Um, people in urban centers are also exposed to more different varieties of language because mm. you come into contact with more people uh, and you have more potential to be exposed to stuff. And there seems to be something about the gender and linguists are still figuring out exactly what... Because the gender is probably a proxy variable for something, but it's just not quite clear what that is. You know, some people think maybe women have more uh, extended social networks. Mm. Uh, Some people think it's women are still more likely to be primary caregivers for children. So even if men do develop something, maybe they're not going to pass it on as quickly. Uh. But it seems to show up uh, in a lot of different studies in a lot of different areas that women tend to be on the leading edge of linguistic change. And of course, that shows up in, in sexism about, you know, criticizing women's voices as well.
3: Oh, yeah, that's a whole nother chat. <laughs> you know, you are obviously a, a booster of an ever evolving English language, but there are going to be a lot of grammar purists, a lot of English purists hearing this, and they might be shaking their heads at our entire conversation. Any advice for them as they try to possibly open their heart to navigate this new world of language? One piece you, of advice. You don't,
4: you don't have to be angry, you can let that go, and the world <laughs> will still be fine. <laughs> you don 't yes. have an obligation to be the moral standard of preserving something that was really just a bunch of like stuffy old guys in the first place. Wow. You can be happy with language. You can be a fan of language and enjoy watching language change and it 's just a more enjoyable way of living.
3: I like that. This is a very unironic, unsarcastic thank you, Gretchen.
4: <laughs> thank you so much for having
3: me <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Gretchen McCulloch, linguist and author of the new book, Because Internet, uh, back here in studio with Tony Romp, tech policy reporter for The Washington Post, and Aisha Roscoe, White House reporter for NPR. Do y'all think overall the Internet has been good or bad for Language, capital L?
2: I agree with Gretchen that I, I think it's great the way that it has expanded, the way you can respond to things. yeah. On Twitter and like in text messages, GIFs in and of themselves are- That's a new language. It's a new language. Right. It can convey a, It can convey something that just saying something in words would not, right? Like yeah. some reading something yeah. would not. You can see something with a GIF and you understand yeah. exactly what they're saying. Yeah.
3: I think all of this abundance of new internet language and GIFs and memes, it expands the emotional range right. of how we can type- and I love that. Like I've seen these videos of these kids that are like pre-verbal, one or two years old, just learning how to talk,
1: but they can text their parents and friends with emoji. <laughs> oh <my laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny at the at the end of your conversation, you would ask her like, "Why are people so angry about this? Like, like, yeah. like why do people just get so lit?" Um, and I yeah. get a lot of that in email. Like hmm. people will see um from my. Tweets or whatever, or um, if, if I dare to use a more colloquial phrasing or approach to something in a story, I'll get this message being like, "Why would the Washington Post yeah. like ever yeah. dare to like yeah. write this way?" And um, I was trying to think about like, why do I think that happens? And I think it's because people see it as a form of laziness rather yeah. than appreciating it for like the emotional range that you get uh exactly. by speaking or writing that way uh they just presume you're doing it because you don't know english you don't know how to speak it or write it properly and you just mm-hmm. don't care to learn which i think is very very far from the truth on that note lol we're gonna brb it's time for a break uh when we come
3: back my favorite game who said that oh no um,
2: yeah <laughs> oh yes it's gonna be fine <laughs> What's happening on NPR podcasts? More neighborhoods and
1: more perspectives. The more of the world that you hear, the more you hear the world as it really is.
2: NPR podcasts, more voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. What's happening on NPR Podcasts?
3: Money. Power. Power. Tacos. White-collar crime, Green parties,
1: Black reparations. More of the perspectives that make your world a more vibrant vibrant place. place. NPR Podcasts. More voices. All ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Hey everyone, it's Ophira Eisenberg, and here I'm chatting with one of Queer Eye's Fab Five, Anthony Porowski. What's a culinary deal-breaker
1: for you? Catch up on hot dogs
3: makes me really uncomfortable. (laughs)
4: Listen to NPR's Ask Me Another, the answer to life's funnier questions.
3: We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, your host, here with two guests, Ayesha Roscoe, White House reporter at NPR, and Tony Rahm, senior tech policy reporter at The Washington Post. Time for my favorite game, Who Said That?
2: that.
3: All right, y'all know how this works. This game, Who Said That?, is quite simple. I share three quotes from the week. You gotta guess who said it or what story I'm talking about. No buzzers, just yell it out. The winner, per usual, gets absolutely nothing but bragging rights. Y'all ready? Every time I do this, I make a fool of myself. Every (laughs) It's it's so crazy to me to see how this game plays out because, right. like, I'm asking my panelists to talk about heavy, intense, deeply reported news stories of the week and they can just do it. Right. And then we get to the quick show about <laughs> randomness and they're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, y'all. <laughs> it's amazing every week. Anyway, first quote is, we just had to put the egg in front of one of them and he knew just what to do. Uh, You don't say who said it, but what story involved eggs this week and it was very heartwarming? It involved parenting. Eggs. Eggs. I cooked some eggs eggs
1: this week and I didn't kill anybody, (laughs) so that was heartwarming. Eggs for the egg. Y'all didn't
3: see this? Oh, oh, it's
1: the penguins. Yes. It's the penguins.
3: It's the penguins. So this week uh, at Zoo Berlin, two male penguins have adopted an egg and they're caring for it together. Within weeks of arriving at this zoo, um, Maximilian Jaeger, who's a spokesperson for Zoo Berlin, he said it was clear that these two male penguins wanted to start a family. <laughs> and so now they're doing it. And I'm just like, give me that Hallmark commercial. It's Wait, just did, so beautiful.
1: How did the penguins find love before I did? <laughs> I'm just <laughs> bitter.
3: So apparently there are a lot of same-sex couples at zoos all over the world that are just, like, adopting eggs and doing the damn thing. That's what
1: I've been doing wrong. I'm out of the zoo. (laughs) I'm going to regret all of this later,
3: Right? All right, Tony, you have one point. Time for the next quote. Uh, This one is so fun. (laughs) Just tell me what I'm talking about. Okay. The quote is, Currently, the street signposts are empty. The Department of Public Works is waiting for the song's popularity to fade before replacing the signs again.
2: Old Town Road. Yes. I <laughs>
3: So, Old Town Road by Lil Nas X, Who We Stand, yeah. uh, it recently became the longest number one running song in Billboard history, like 18 weeks atop of the charts, probably 19 at this point. IDK. Uh, but in the town of Wellesley, Massachusetts, because of the song's popularity, people have been stealing the street sign of an <laughs> an actual Old Town Road.
1: It reminds me of that story um, in Colorado where people kept stealing the 420 mile marker. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so, the, like the the New York Times wrote about it, and so now it's four nineteen dot Oh my god, I <laughs> yeah. love it! I
3: love it. That's kind of amazing. So there's an actual road called Old Town Road in Wellesley, Mass. People keep taking the street sign, uh, and now the town says it cost two hundred and eighty bucks to replace this Ooh. sign every time. Oh, so oh, we're just gonna lot. stop doing it. Yeah, that's right. A lot so of money. now Old Town Road is just a road. <laughs> 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 no, no, <it's> kind of
2: sad <laughs> you can't take no horses there
3: <laughs> yeah alright this game is tied y'all oh, no. oh. oh my goodness oh no. Oh. oh no last quote for all the marbles in this story is bananas uh, the quote is hard seltzers ran so we could fly Oh, oh I that.
2: It's that see like those. Four Loco yes, thing. Yes, right. Oh my <laughs> goodness. They're making a seltzer. What type of yes. madness? So,
3: Four Loco who was a big deal when I was in college because they had oh. they made really strong alcohol <laughs> drinks with caffeine. Mm-hmm. Now they're back at it again. They are releasing a Four Loco seltzer which is 14% alcohol. <laughs> <What>? Excuse me. <laughs> So they said it has a, a raz flavor, which Ew. I guess is raspberry. <laughs> I it's spelled R-A-Z-Z. It's Ew. so weird. Ew. Anyways, so Four Loko was planning to release an alcoholic seltzer in 2020 because hard seltzers are ascendant with uh, the young folks. The biggest of them right now Can being White ask- Claw.
1: Yeah, can I ask you guys a question? When did yeah. the hard seltzer thing happen? I feel I like, it I like, it. Really? I like it just showed up. Really? You like it? You like seltzers? I was seltzers? at a wedding
3: last week, and I had so much white claws. Ugh. I was just, ugh. Because y- you feel less guilty about it. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
2: So I, don't know. I, don't, I don't get seltzer water, and the hard seltzers, so that's with the alcohol?
3: It's with alcohol. So it's like 5% alcohol.
1: I so it's
2: just so a vodka tonic. tonic.
3: Yes, basically. Okay. So <laughs> seltzers are ascendant. Uh, there's also going to be sel- hard seltzers from PBR, and Natty Light. Mm. I'll rock with the seltzer, but I will say anyone consuming Four loco products, we must not forget uh, when they lost the original Four Loco many years ago, which contained caffeine, guarana, and taurine. It caused hospitalizations at colleges around the country, uh, according to Eater Magazine. Yeah, I, careful, remember that.
2: that's, that's yeah
1: I remember that. That's bad. Yeah, I remember that. Uh like you remember. <laughs>
3: uh, oh, man. So it seems like Aisha Roscoe won oh my the game.
1: Goodness. Oh,
2: thank you. thank you so much. I, I, <laughs> I win so little, so thank you so much.
3: You both are winners in my heart Aww. and in our listeners' heart. Uh, that concludes Who Said That. All right, now it's time to end the show as we always do. Each Friday, we ask you, our listeners, to share with us the best things that have happened to you all week. We encourage folks to brag. Brent, hit the tape. This is Jay from Asheville, North Carolina. The best thing that happened to me this week was that I returned home from a successful brain surgery at Duke Hospital. It is really an amazing new lease on life. I feel great.
1: Hi Sam, this is Ben Rothman from Oakland,
2: California. And the best part of my week is that I won the World Championships of Croquet in Southwick, England.
4: My wife and I just celebrated 18 years of marriage.
2: My
0: boyfriend surprised me and asked me to marry him. I finally made a life goal
1: of getting to Alaska. Hi
4: Sam, this is Fran in Michigan. This week at age 59, I officially completed my advanced degree after seven years. And I love my new career. Hey Sam, it's Maddie
2: and Taylor, and Rachel. The best part of my week was flying across country to surprise all of my friends in New York. And the best part of my week was I quit my job, and my best friend came to New York to surprise us. Thanks for the show. Hi, Sam. Uh, My name is Letty Knight. I'm a birth doula from El Paso, Texas. Uh, So after tragedy struck our community this past weekend, I had the privilege of attending a dear friend and client of mine as she gave birth to her second baby boy. And this just served as a reminder that even in the darkest moments in our community, love will always prevail. So welcome to the world, baby Cruz. Thanks. Thank you. Love your show.
3: Bye-bye. Welcome to the world, baby, Chris. Also, shout out to the I quit my job lady.
2: (laughs) Sometimes you got to have that energy, though. Like, I quit. That was the best part of my week. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Literally. She delivered that with some Four loco energy. (laughs) She really did. Oh, man. Thanks to all the folks you heard there. Jay, Ben, Shahab, Rebecca, Ellen, Fran, Maddie Taylor and Rachel, Letty in El Paso, and also... I don't think I've ever heard from a world championship croquet winner, so shout out. Uh, Thanks to all of those who share their best things with us every week. We listen to every single one of them, even if we can't play them all on the show. But keep them coming. Really, keep them coming. Um, We got to say goodbye to y'all. We're going to go out on Mr. Sean Carter himself, Jay-Z. I still don't know. Do I want to see a Jay-Z Super Bowl halftime show?
2: After this, it's going to be... It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. It's going to yeah. be weird if he did it now. Mm, yeah. But Beyonce all day,
3: Oh, day. bring her back. Take, her take,
2: back. take the electric yeah. grid down again.
1: <laughs>
3: yes. Yeah, I'm here. Yes. Literally. <laughs> Literally. Thanks so much to my guest, Aisha Roscoe, White House reporter at NPR, and Tony Rahm, senior tech policy reporter at The Washington Post.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Sam.
3: This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry. Our fearless editors are Jordana Hochman and Alex McCall, our Director of programming who drinks not for loco but Diet Mountain Dew Code Red is Steve Nelson. And our big boss is NPR's senior VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Also, per always, thanks to Jay-Z for continuing to write checks for himself. Alright, <laughs> listeners, till next time, thanks for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.
1: Climate change fuels hurricanes. China promises to stop. The big lie persists. Butterflies have hearts. Singers die. Plumbers win. Nurses persevere. Your world speaks. We listen. NPR podcasts. More voices, voices, all ears. ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download it in your App Store today.